Hello, and welcome to Drink 4 dot dot dot, the podcast that combines a lifelong film infatuation with an overarching love of drink, an interactive journey that encourages the incorrigible while providing an intoxicating alternative to a night out. Think Netflix and chill without the chill, perhaps without the Netflix, and definitely without the sex. Who knows, maybe we'll learn something along the way, or at the very least, have a bit of immature fun. It's a pretty rainy day here in Pittsburgh. Can't wait to be back in the closet by myself, however, have a bit of a godsend. My friend Doug will be joining me for today's holy ritual. We will be watching Jenna Rickers' The American Side from 2016, written by her and lead actor Greg Stur, S-T-U-H-R. Consonants, too many consonants, as does his character detective, Private Eye, I I assume, Charlie Pazinski, spelled Polishly. Uh, His brother Don, maybe his father, plays Mickey. Kelsey Seepser, oh god, I have to stop, this is too, this is, uh, I'm not good with consonants, I'm just, I can't be, and I'm sorry. There's a a lot of names that are probably really difficult to uh, pronounce in this, of note, are Robert Vaughn, as the aptly titled Silver-Haired Man character, Robert Forster, as a person called Whitmore, and Matthew Broderick, plays a person called Borden Chase, which is how you know that it's probably a rich white guy. The American side apparently follows a mysterious suicide at Niagara Falls when a quote-unquote low-rent detective unravels a conspiracy to build a revolutionary invention by enigmatic scientist Nikola Tesla. This is the plot description as listed on IMDb. Doesn't give me a whole lot to go with, but the trailer seems seems interesting enough. I'm I'm sure this is going to be something. It isn't Jenna's first film. It's certainly not Greg's. She's she's this is her her second effort, and she directed one of the ESPN's Thirty for Thirty episodes called Qualified. So this is her her second effort out of a three total. But it look it looks pretty interesting. Some really bleak, brutal grays. And uh, mixed in with with a decent amount of comedy for this. When Doug arrives, which should be shortly, uh, you know, hopefully this intro doesn't get too bogged down in me being boring and talking to myself here in the closet of shame. We gotta get we gotta get some introductory stuff out of the way. We gotta get some introductory stuff out of the way. The, the most of which is, is is probably what I am going to be drinking for this. We could pull the noir bottle of room temperature bourbon out of our imaginary desks, suck back on that. We could continue a tiki theme. It's been extremely hot all over the globe still. Very hot here in Pittsburgh until quite recently when it's been uh, raining. So maybe to bring the rain back, we should we should continue with, with tiki drinks. I, I did foolishly buy everything it takes to make Don Beach's zombie, but... I probably won't drink those because I'd like to remember this movie and trying to edit the dumb tangents that my brain goes on when I'm drunk is hard enough. Sort of drunk, let alone just fucking blitzed. So I'm, I might I might stick to a, a nice light beer for this one. Something uh, you can only really get on the American side. Maybe something buffalo wing flavored. 
but yeah, because this takes place in Buffalo, find a, a Buffalo Craft Brewery or any of those Niagara Falls wineries, and you know, do this this part for yourself. I don't fucking I'm I'm bored telling you what to drink. I don't give a shit. But what I do give a shit about is telling you when to drink, because I'm very very controlling in terms of when people who are forced to listen to me uh, must drink. Rule number one: We're going to drink four shots of Niagara Falls. This is called the American side. I assume that has to do with the American side of Niagara Falls. We're going to drink for darkly dramatic music. The trailer is steeped in it, so I assume the rest of the film will be as well. We're also going to drink for detective equips. This looks like it was quite cleverly written. It's supposed to be some sort of comedy, so I'm assuming that there's going to be a lot of, of witty comebacks in this. The trailer has a few. Hopefully it doesn't have all of them. So we're going we're gonna to get a lot of back and forth from people giving each other shit because they can. Because they're carrying guns and that's just how it works, I guess. We're going to drink for the words Buffalo and Tesla. Anything to do with Nikola Tesla and anything involving the word Buffalo. And for this week, I've crafted a wonderful little side game might have to start doing these for all meandering, twisty-turny, mysterious, ooh, spooky stuff where if you're like me, you talk out loud watching films with your friends. Drives everyone I know nuts, which is why I'm counting on you to help make this the norm and really push the quiet, needing film public off of the edge into the periphery of... of uh, human awareness. This is going to be a game based on me talking out loud. So everyone drinks if during the film you you guess out loud one of the plot twists and you guess it correctly. But you have to drink two if you're wrong. So say I exclaim out loud, oh the butler, the butler uh, did this. And later it comes out that the butler did it, everyone has to drink. And if it, it's not the butler at all, who did it? I have to drink too. So you can really control the amount you drink through asinine guesses, I suppose, if you really wanted to. Or you could be an adult and control how much you want to drink by yourself. So there, there's a, a little bit extra fun thrown in there for you. Uh, I hope this film lives up to that fun, and uh, I hope that we all enjoy our little visit up to the Great White North so close to politeness, yet still dirty enough to be considered New York. Do you have a product that could benefit from a loud, authoritative white guy with a beard? Dave's marketing personalities will find the right her-suited hipster to yell about your thing. Sunglasses? Soap? Sandpaper? Dave's marketing personalities will get a guy screaming right now. No camera necessary. Get a free week of yelling when you sign up now at dmp.squarespace.com slash df dot dot dot. Welcome back from that extremely long break. I'm here with my main man, Doug. Doug, thank you for joining me and, uh, you know, visiting me in this very sorrowful closet. What do you, do you have anything that you want to discuss about the film? I, I did like 
a lot of great landscape shots mm -hmm. of buffalo a lot of terrible ties yeah a lot of um kind of like percussive like uh like very low tone kind of drum beats the music was so interesting yeah it was i mean i don't know who made that music like i have i have no idea if they've ever made music before or if it was just sort of this that like it was somebody just got a free download of logic and they were like fuck yeah dude i'm gonna i'm gonna hit this up but it did have a lot of good a lot of good beats it was i mean yeah the beats were next to the dialogue probably the yeah. tastiest thing about this film and they really like wouldn't say they showcased buffalo but they used yeah. a lot of buffalo so much of me wonders whether or not if I was a Buffalonian that I would I would be like, Oh man, yeah. That's Don's place. Like, oh look at that. That's That's this... the Polish cadets. Yeah, man, oh man, I used to do so much weird shit there. But it's um they do seem to showcase a ton of Buffalo. Hmm. But I think if you don't know Buffalo, it's just sort of did they showcase my like her or is this just sort of outside of town somewhere mm. in some uh, sort of effusive American side where you know nothing really uh, nothing really exists they just sort of created a town for this I love the one scene where they were in like the I don't know some sort of industrial facility mm -hmm. and they kept sneaking around and hiding behind the different things there were a lot of there were a lot of physical chase scenes, like running, ducking behind things, like it almost seemed too good to be true that they were able to evade capture. Yeah. Kind of hiding behind, oh, let me dodge behind this post and then they won't be able to see me. They're gonna run around the other person. When they run around, I'll just run around the other thing and somehow elude them. It thought it was so clever because of those moments. It, it, now I'm going to take that back. It didn't think it was so clever because of those moments. Because it did, I mean, those didn't really seem forced, but they were strange. They were odd. And to your point, it certainly was a non-clever way of, of sort of blocking. Like, that's something that people would call blocking, is basically mm. how actors move in relation to a scene and how the camera sort of can follow them around. So... They came up with this very clever way of doing a single take block and they would just sort of go around these things in these more than human clever ways mm. that like you could only really have, they're those, they're those moments that you have after an argument where somebody's like, yeah, well, I hope your mom dies. And then you go home and then you're like, oh man, I, I, I should have said, You're, you wish you had a mom. <laughs> But you know you don't you don't think of these things in the moment and uh. and uh, and that type of humanity I feel like is is the kind mm. that was lacking from this film, where everything seemed like it was made to either confuse me or impress me with mm. with how this cop was sort of able to or I guess not cop but private private eye was able to sort of private dick. Yeah, would you? I, you know, I was really pissed off that they never said the words "private dick." Yeah. <laughs> Fucking pricks. Uh, I also like that he handed someone a business card in the, in a situation mm. where you would hand over your badge. 
Yeah. He's like, here's a here's my business card. Yeah. It seemed oh very God. authoritative. Like that's white privilege 101 is being able to handle a <laughs> like, just like hand a cop a business card and be like, I'm sorry, officer. I yeah. don't think I don't think you understand who I am. Uh, I am uh, Doc Sportella. The w one thing I did really like was all of the 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 bad guy goons. Mm -hmm. I don't think they said a word the entire film, and they wore the same like maroon brown suit. Yeah, they were... maybe with a maybe with a non collared shirt underneath. They were bizarre, man. Like yeah. I I feel like because they were so anonymous, they literally could have been that. It could have been the same guy. Yeah, it was it, for it, everything. It sort of created a very that created sort of a eerie element otherworldly element to yeah. it. It's like they were, I don't know, faceless isn't the right word, but like... No, but I know I what think you they mean. Were I mean, they were scarier because you didn't yeah. really know like yeah. who they were. They were so much like... When you when you brought it up, my head went to uh, the, like the original Batman cartoons or like um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with like every goon. The foot soldiers. Is, like yeah. the foot soldiers are always going to win. Like... The Cobra Kai are always gonna wear the same fucking thing. Yeah, they, it's almost like no matter how many of them horde, you've alluded, yeah. there's more of them, and they're all the same. Like, yeah, th there's no there's no end to how many of them there could be. Yeah, as long as you have the money to keep paying for these soldiers' lives, it, you can just keep right. throwing them at uh, Mr. Uh, Pasinski. Charlie. But, uh, you know, after you had said it, it, it really reminded me of, uh, you know, the, the worst thing to happen to American culture, which is the Minions, um, which I suppose that <laughs> that is more of a joke um, on the sort of henchman trope than, than, uh, than maybe this is. But I, you know, just hearing you say that, I think that maybe this is probably a bit more clever than I thought it was. Because I really, I mean, I... I, I started off wanting to give it all the credit in the world, and it really starts with that really snappy dialogue that you don't, you know, you don't get that dialogue everywhere, where something is very tightly written and every person saying something has somebody else giving the perfect answer, hmm. where they're just like, oh yeah, how about this? Oh yeah. yeah, how about that? There were a lot of great punchlines. Yeah, and it was like like stuff like that. You you only see from like really old films written by very talented people who just you know sort of sort of started that. Like uh, Frank Capra and Billy Wilder from the forties, fifties, and sixties. But like this eventually gets bogged down in its own almost intelligence to a way that like it gets confusing because I, I I know for me a lot of the times when they would cut to somewhere else you didn't know where it was because mm -hmm. a lot of this happens in like anonymous mansions and and like you know I, I didn't I didn't go to school for architecture so I, like I'm not gonna be like oh well those trusses are, are clearly from from 1912, so this must be the mansion that Matthew Broderick's character lives in, rather than whoever else lives uh, there. So, to me, this sort of shows itself as a passion project in that way, where somebody sat down with a script 
with their friend and they just keep going over and over and over and over and over it. And then they decide how to shoot it and don't really understand how somebody who's never read it or listened to it or watched it or engaged with it at all is not gonna, like, I don't know where Charlie is, is right now. Yeah. Like, I have no idea because you didn't, you didn't uh, cut to him going there. You didn't give me um, screen title or like, you didn't give me anything. It was just right. like, all of a sudden, he's having a discussion indoors at a strip club. And then he goes outside and it's like light out. And I don't know if it's the same day or the next day or any time. Yeah, it's it's not like it was lacking enough character development, but yeah. you were introduced very quickly to new characters without a whole lot of context to understand how they fit in. Yeah. Um, like it felt like, uh, maybe not that it was an afterthought to introduce a character, but it, it was very abrupt the way some yeah. of the characters were introduced. They really rely a lot on us to figure out the traits of a lot of the people. Like when, when we first get introduced to the private eye, he's standing there playing pinball and he's got an empty glass of booze next to him. And then like he meets this woman and he has a cigarette and they sit at a bar. And so like you get all of like those really shallow like the main character is never developed. Like Charlie is just, he's a private eye. Like he solves crimes and he drinks and he smokes and there's nothing else about Charlie. Like Charlie doesn't have a bad childhood. Charlie doesn't have a bad adulthood. Charlie doesn't have a drinking problem, like technically a drinking problem. He doesn't have a gambling problem. Like he does bad stuff theoretically, but like it doesn't get in the way of his work. No one's like, Charlie, you should stop drinking. One guy makes a comment about how he smokes too much, mm. but like, Wait. no one else is developed either. It's just like they're there to say these really witty pieces of mm. dialogue that I don't know. Like maybe a comedian wrote this. Like maybe somebody who's like really clever and is trying to to get a job as a because I know people will come into films and just write the dialogue. Like I wonder if. That's what um, Greg Stir and, and Jenna Ricker are are doing here. Like, is Greg trying to show that he's a good enough actor that he can write realistic dialogue? And Jenna is is saying that you know while she might not be able to write a Coen Brothers narrative, she can direct competently and, and write decent dialogue. I have no idea. Like, I don't know. I don't know who this film was for, hmm. other than Buffalonians, <laughs> who it is clearly very for. It's funny when you said his cigarette problem and his—he didn't have a gambling problem. He did have a lot of cigarettes hanging out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the ratio of lit cigarettes to just tasted cigarettes was, but it was probably couldn't have been better than one out of every four was lit. No, absolutely he really, not. He really, I felt like that look, the one cigarette look, was really part of his persona that he was trying to push through. It was, I mean, he he looked so cool, yeah. to be fair. Like, he looked super cool with that, with that cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And 
whether it was some sort of tax that New York levies against films where the, the main actor has to smoke a cigarette the whole time, or uh, Greg isn't able to smoke cigarettes anymore, or like he, he was either, I guess, addicted to cigarettes at one point and had to give them up and can only like put them in his mouth without smoking them, <laughs> or, or has never smoked a cigarette and is afraid of them and can only put them in his mouth and doesn't want to light them. Like, that was, it. I mean, he literally is a great point for how cool you look when you have a cigarette in your mouth. Yeah. Just automatically, he looked tougher than me. Yeah. Like, instantly. Which, you know, isn't hard. But, um... It, he did get he did get beat up by the uh, female FBI agent, so... I think it yeah. was... Might have been a bit of a front... That yeah, he a, that he was a total tough guy, and he he was also sleeping with a hammer. So yeah, yeah, no, he he clearly has some insecurities, undoubtedly. But you know, just trying to look cool was not one of them. Driving yeah. around in his old Dodge Dart with his aviators and his just thick ties, just the thickest ties in the world. Yeah, like bomber uh, jacket. Yeah, and that weird jacket that he always put stuff in. Yeah, which I know always, you noticed. Always slipping some sort of evidence or a, pa- a package of information. Just a parcel. Yeah. Like, like, when's the last time you got a parcel on the go? Yeah. Like, Letter, letters folded up in one large envelope, slipped mm-hmm. into a jacket pocket, and you're on. The, you're ready to go. Like this. This theoretically takes place in 2016. And I can't remember the last time where on the go I had to put a parcel in my mm. jacket pocket. It had, it did have a lot of elements of older, like it sort of, I don't know if it was trying to create a timeless mm-hmm. setting, but mm. I can't remember one time where a cell phone was used. Like there was, there were a lot of elements where you could see the movie being taking place in, you know, the seventies or eighties. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of payphone usage. It I was, was thinking, like some of the scenes, I was reminded of like the French Connection, um, or just some really classic like detective movies. Um, no, absolutely. Was there were, were there any computers? Now that you said the cell phone thing, I don't remember any computers either. No, there was a lot of paper, a lot of payphones. It was clearly present day, wasn't it? Or is it not? And that's just in my head. Was that? There's one scene where a plane is flying overhead, and it's sort of north by northwest them with this swooping, diving machine gun fire. But was that a whole plane, or was that a drone? (laughs) (laughs) That's what we couldn't figure (laughs) out. It was, I mean, it was like a Wright Brothers era plane. It was an old fucking plane. But somehow had machine guns mounted on it. Yeah. I mean, in, in the real world in which you and I live it was CGI but in the film where uh, Charlie Pazinski lives was that uh, like was that supposed to be a real plane or a drone like I oh man so much of this now that you said that I have no idea is this present time or is it 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 could absolutely not be is the um, so the car that he was driving was old he was driven around in an old car but the uh the villains, their van was like sort of a, a, a 90s, 2000s 
sort of like a, okay. a yeah. Chevy Astro van or something like that. Yeah. And the SUV that chased him down in the parking lot was like a new. Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, so yeah, the car that Robert Forrester's character has. Oh, it's like a really old Rolls, it's like Rolls Royce. A super old, gorgeous car, and they all live in these really weird turn of the century mansions. Mm -hmm. Like everyone just sort of chills in a mansion, and I don't know. There was a lot of like, show, I... showing of like old money wealth in Buffalo. Yeah, like but like, does Buffalo have a really big history? Like, it was one of the biggest cities in America. I mean, from its its why its geographic location on the lakes on kind of the gateway between the St. Lawrence Seaway and Lake what is it um, Ontario maybe in Buffalo yeah, yeah so I guess it would be Toronto between yeah. between Lake Ontario and Erie but I think it was a, a shipping gateway to oh, okay basically you could um, put something in a boat from the Atlantic Ocean, Before, take it, take it into the St. Lawrence Seaway, yeah. and through a canal, get all the way to Chicago and Detroit. So it was, a, oh. I think, it was a vital um, Fair city, especially when the U.S. was more Eastern focused. And I th like I think at one point, mm -hmm. like Buffalo was, I think, similar to Pittsburgh in that it had a, it was like a pretty economically important city. Yeah, I think it's since seen a decline, but uh, <laughs> but at one point it was you know pretty important to the economy. Yeah, I guess that explains maybe the Tesla connection because I don't even know if Tesla was connected to mm. to uh, Buffalo. I know you asked that while we were watching it, and I know that he died in the the New Yorker hotel based on the trailer for this film and for no other reason. And maybe he t maybe. That's in Buffalo? Uh, I think it was in New York City. I assume it is. I assume the New Yorker is from New York City. But if the New Yorker was started in Buffalo, that's going to just be a really sad uh, uh, piece of trivia for me to have in my head for the rest of my life. But, um, like, this was really a, uh, a love letter, almost, I guess, to Buffalo and to how great... The city of, city of Buffalo can look on, on camera, and by great, of course, I mean it looks shitty and scary like noir films do. Uh, I, I now see Buffalo as a place utterly full of villains who all dress the same and, yeah. and sort of are Matthew Broderick rich. It, it, yeah. yeah, I think there's the, there's the Matthew Broderick sort of old money aristocratic um villain that is going on there and also like all of the you know industrial settings with the thugs like it reminded me of like robocop where they're in some you know industrial old industrial facility in detroit or wherever i think they they utilize those um old infrastructure settings to kind of create like abandoned warehouses and things like that kind of helped with that the uh the eeriness or the you know the the chase scenes where they don't know where they're gonna go or whatever mm -hmm. um it was fair i mean in that way it's really detroit it's really creepy and it's really brutal and it's such a 
just sort of like that American city in decline. It really represents an era that's gone now that uh, in this case died with Nikola Tesla at the turn of the century and hasn't really recovered since. There's all this, the old money keeps going, but everyone else is sort of left to pick up the pieces because everywhere that's not a mansion is a hovel. Mm. Uh, you have these villains driving these spectacular old cars and then all of a sudden Charlie will just like turn up in the basement of a Polish club and it'll just be like a shithole like <laughs> the bars the bars are like quaint little dives everything like the pinball machine he's playing on is disgusting mm. like it's all just Nothing new happened in Buffalo after 1975, according to this film. And they're just like, eh, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, the clothes are modern, but other than that, everything in Buffalo stopped 30 years ago. I thought Matthew Broderick's character was interesting in this. Mm-hmm. Because he, I think they developed him well as like this eccentric mm-hmm. aristocrat. And they went a little bit deeper into uh, him being even crazier than than they let on. Yeah. Um, but then I was sort of disappointed that it didn't go any further than that. Like it uh, yeah. kind of it was a, it was a it was sort of a dead end when you're trying to figure out, you know, the you know who is who's going to do what and where the plot twists are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. I guess surprised with where the where the plot went, was disappointed that his character wasn't maybe a little bit more developed, like more featured, more developed. It, it, Just give it, like especially given his reputation, and yeah. like he was the biggest star in this this film at least no, that I recognize. Absolutely, yeah. He was. Um, a lot of me has to assume that that a lot of that is because you can only really afford Matthew Broderick for one or two days. And so they're going to be like, all right, how much time can we get with Matthew Broderick right now and film all this stuff? But the rest of me saw this film and knows that no one is developed. And it, and, and it is, it is really a shame that they did like, they didn't bother to give him a good part. And like, I wonder if he's a, uh, an executive producer on this or if they just sort of roped him into being in it like I don't know why he's in this is he from Buffalo that's a great question god what if this is just like a film for and by people of Buffalo like that would be um, that would be the the spiciest meatball of all Uh, I mean he sounds so New York but I have always assumed that it's the city of New York. Yeah, he was born in uh, New York City. In New York. Yeah. Yeah. So he's New York. He's New York till he dies. But maybe he was just sort of like doing a favor for Upstate. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe you know New Yorkers have to really pull favors for uh, for their Upstate counterparts. Yeah. Maybe it was just an in-state. Uh, yeah. In-state tax 
tax thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the state, <laughs> this you know, uh, De Blasio. Uh, oh no, he's the mayor, isn't he? Who's the governor in New York? Cuomo. Cuomo. Yeah, it's just Cuomo is just writing checks to Matthew Broderick, just yeah. trying to get some of those New Yorkers into this. If you live in New York and do films in New York. You have to be in a in the American side sometimes. Yeah. You have to really get tourism to New York's Niagara Falls a lot higher. Is that the... It, it, does the Maid of the Mist only leave from the American side? Do you know? I have. I, I was literally just there and I have no I, idea. I'm not sure. I did think it was interesting that he uh, survived his... His trip over the falls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna, I mean, we're gonna have to put a spoiler alert in there, but uh, realistically, I mean, he's the he's the hero of the movie, so you knew he was going to survive it. But yeah, no, of course. I um, mean, people are such dicks about spoilers these days. Like we we know these people are gonna make it, but but I thought it was. I mean the from like a. Like the camera work, the way they shot it, was the way silly. that they shot it was was almost believable. Uh huh. But I don't know how he actually would have survived going over. Yeah, and like I mean, to to really double down on that, the fact that his lighter, uh, the Zippo that that becomes sort of his token throughout the whole thing, remains lit through his falling over the falls. And then, like, constantly being shaken at various angles in a tube. Wow, just how any of that happened. And, like, I don't really... I didn't really understand why it happened for so long. I guess, like, if you go over the falls, you go over, and then the water, like, smashes you down for a long time. Yeah. And you come back up, but, like... Is that what kills you going over the falls in a in a metal tube? It's not just like that initial slam into the ground that like just breaks you. I mean, the thing about it is the tube would hit it's like being in a car crash. Yeah, like, right? It's like being in a car crash where you would hit your head off the steering wheel. Like yeah. it's that same sort of effect where not fun. The the tube stops and your body keeps going until it hits something else. That that would have knocked him out so and there's no padding on the there it was there wasn't pillowed i mean i've been to ripley's believe it or not in niagara falls canada i've seen the padding on the inside of these things this thing had no padding right i'm gonna call this as nonsense they didn't even yeah. do that stunt i think the uh the biggest harm that he he took away from that was he lost his band-aid on his head that was holding yeah. together the, the gash from uh, his encounter with the, the DARPA agent earlier. And so he came uh, out of it pretty pretty clean. Yeah, and he somehow got out of it as well. Yeah. There was but, no explanation of how he got out of the barrel. No, all of a sudden the barrel was parked and he was just walking out of it. Yeah. Which, you know, fair enough. But um, why went, I guess why when he woke up he didn't try to get out of it? I mean, like he didn't get out of it immediately like when he's sharp because you know when you wake up from being passed out you're probably sharper than after you've ridden in a steel tube over the biggest waterfall in america <laughs> uh like i can't imagine you'd be real mentally sharp after right. a fall like that right 
especially after what we saw. I mean, especially if you're going to knock band-aids off somebody's forehead. Right. That's a pretty severe That's, impact. Yeah. I mean, you know, you ask any doctor. Um, you know, that's nine out of ten would agree that absolutely. Uh, Eleven out of uh, thirteen dentists would say that y you shouldn't knock band-aids off your head and be able to get out of a, a steel cylinder. So, like, I mean, it's just really funny things like that that really try to turn this into a comedy in the sense of, I guess, trying to elicit laughter from the audience because it's not funny it's no. not a funny film it's a lot of fun and it's great to drink along to his being able to make fun of people but it's not a funny film yeah no. and yet in a lot of ways it's structured like a comedy right some of the things like his uh his ties were pretty great Oh god. There's certainly some it. comic relief drawn from his attire. Everyone makes a like everyone has the best one-liners for Charlie's shortcomings. Mm. Everyone. Uh the banter he has with the police detective, like that big fat guy. Hey, you're I you know, I hear your wife likes Polish sausage. Like it's just dumb shit like that where where clearly a writer has had way too long with a blank piece of paper and they're like, you know what? If I could say this to a cop, I would. Yeah. Like, Why have real dialogue when we can just have jokes going back and forth? Over and over and over and over again. I guess I guess my question is to the filmmakers, why, why should I take your film seriously if you're going to write it like this? And maybe I don't need to. Maybe maybe that's the whole point. Is I don't need to take this seriously. I just sort of need to go on that proverbial over the falls ride. You know, like I, you know, we need to literally just strap in and be like, eh. you know, it's gonna get bumpy there <laughs> for most of the ride. You're in a barrel and you can't get out. I'm gonna get knocked out, and then I'm gonna find myself uh, on a on the. The, the shore able to to crawl free of the wreckage of this and that's fine and you know maybe that's the 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 metaphor they're going they're going for here with their storytelling it's probably not now that i say it it seems pretty mean of me to say out loud that that watching this film is is like going over the niagara falls um it's certainly not that bad and it's way better than like a lot of the other shit that's out there like this is in modern day sort of mystery filmmaking this is great like this is perfectly fine um i think that's that's where it fails the hardest is because it's just fine it's not great it's not terrible it's not laughable it's just sort of fine yeah and that's a shame because if something's just fine it's just sort of you know, you're on your phone a little bit. You're going to look some stuff up. You're going to be like, oh, who's this? And you're going to open this little magic box you have in your pocket. And you're going to be like, eh, I wonder what's on YouTube. And then you're like, shit. Ah, oh, fuck. Uh, I was supposed to be watching this with Doug. <laughs> fuck. Sorry, Doug. What are you doing over there? You're like, oh, God, I'm on Instagram again. 
And I think that that's, you know, the hardest part about watching a film like this at home is putting the cell phone away. Mm. Like, so hard for me. I'm so addicted to this thing. It's fucking insane. And this film did not help because it just brought up all those questions where I'm like, did Nikola Tesla ever go to Buffalo? Mm. Yeah, I thought that the connection to Nikola Tesla was was Can very strange. <laughs> and I, but the one thing that I did love was all of, they really did a good job of kind of creating the allure and kind of magic of Tesla's drawings and his inventions. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a lot of, um, you know, it was a lot of old looking pieces of paper with diagrams and script writing and, you know, uh, swirly circular type of looking things that, yeah, you know, you weren't really sure what they were, but, oh, it was the key to a new energy source for the planet mm-hmm. that could ruin the whole economy overnight. Oh no, um, poor the economy. So I, I did like that aspect of how they were, um, you know, really made these references to Tesla's inventions or his, his genius that, um, you know, if it fell into the wrong hands could mean terrible things. Uh, and yeah. all of the, the drawings were kind of like, you couldn't really tell what they were. Of course not. But, yeah, no, they, but in the film, they were so important and, mm-hmm. you know, was the key to unlocking some major discovery based on, uh, you know, a couple drawings and lines connected to circles. No, yeah, it was, it was literally like the plot of this film was because Nikola Tesla's misunderstood or completely ununderstood or nonsense that he wrote on papers because there must mm. have been some nonsense. And uh, I liked when they made the reference to uh, Serbian nationalists just mm-hmm. going just going crazy for uh, lost Nikola Tesla drawings and diagrams. Like I'm yeah. curious if that was if that was heavily researched. I feel I mean I feel like everything with this film was heavily researched because they just did so like obviously they had enough time to write all of this really funny shit down on paper. And if they didn't take a lot of time, you guys did a fucking fabulous job. If if you wrote this, you know, in in a couple weeks, you guys are hilarious. Well done. But uh, if, if it's as researched as it, it sort of comes across, you're absolutely right. Like that, that little hilarious. Like there's a lot of stuff like that where they'll just throw in a little fact and you can either choose to chase it down the rabbit hole or, or you know, continue with the film. And I think that's where I was having a lot of trouble with my cell phone is where, where I was like, I'll just let this one go. Like I don't need to know if 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 uh, Matthew Broderick is actually a, a producer on this film or or a uh, Buffalonian, uh-huh, or or a Buffalonian or like why any of this exists <laughs> or if uh, Greg and Jenna are husband and wife or or have any sort of tie to each other as to why they would be uh, making this film together. Uh, you know who who paid them to make this? Was it Nikola Tesla? Um, you know, did he himself go through some sort of 
time machine to create this film, to create more lore for himself? And if so, why would he need to create this film when he has a time machine? So yeah, it's um, it's better than I thought it'd be. And it's, but, but almost to the detriment of my enjoyment of it, I guess, because I wanted it to be trash. Mm. I wanted it to just be like a spoofy Brian De Palma schlocky piece of shit just like um oh what's the guy's name it doesn't matter but I, I just wanted it to be trash and it wasn't and and some of the dialogue was pretty pretty bad it was yeah I mean it did sort of fit in a way which was interesting I mean it all fit together correctly I guess. In my opinion, it fit together correctly. Where you, where you, the bad dialogue, the, the almost like over-the-top bad stuff fit in with the sort of mediocre, like, oh, we're just going to sort of, oh, we're in a mansion again, and you're like, I don't know where I am. And fit together with, with I guess, the, the writer's conflation of being confused with being mystified, which are two very different things for, for audiences. But, um, you know, f- for me, the fact that the, the dialogue was bad fit very nicely with everyone else and everything else sort of being fine. I guess other than the, you know, as you said, the, um, I think that's production design production design would be in charge of of creating Tesla manuscripts. I'm not really sure. It's something like that. Um, no one who's who's smart or angry enough to argue with me listens to this podcast so I think we'll be fine. Um, it's just it didn't... I, I'm gonna forget this in a couple days. <laughs> I know I will. Um, just in, in spite of the booze, I will absolutely forget a lot of this film. There's a few lines I'll remember. That'll be really like the Polish sausage line. Hmm. It'll stick with me. And the ties and the the foot chases. The ties and his weird run. Yeah, I mean, he, he did have of, a weird running style that they that was captured a couple times in the film. Yeah, and I'm gonna need to find out what a, a dodge dart swinger is. Swinger swagger. Swinger. One of the two. Yeah, it's gotta be swinger. I yeah. do. I feel like swagger could not have been a word when this no, was written. No, I agree. It was probably it swing. Yeah. And, it, and if it was, you know, a car made in the 70s, then swinger is probably a exactly. probably more appropriate term. God knows the designers at uh, Dodge were all going to key parties on the weekend, and, and one of them really <laughs> just wanted to show up in, in a car nicknamed the swinger. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, uh, I guess, man. Uh, this is just something. So much something. There's, there's, I mean, there's so many brunette white girls. It's so confused. It's mm. just so, you just get bogged down in it. Like everyone looks the exact same. And that's the problem for me is that all of the locations look the same. Like so many of the women look the same. And the, di- like everyone is clever with, with dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, like there's gotta be somebody who's not good at, at coming back to you. Right. Like you can't, you, you can't, I mean, maybe Greg and Jenna are both just very bright humans who, who are very good at writing conversational dialogue 
but they also have to understand that not everyone in the world is going to be good at talking. Mm. And there are, there have to be people who are awkward and who, who can't come up with some fucking brilliant one-liner. When yeah, the quips were, were getting out of control. And they were so good. And, and, you know, you appreciate a quip here and there, but, like, don't make the rest of your film serious if you're going to write it. Like, like don't... You got to compromise somewhere. You can't do a straight-faced neo-noir and have it, you know, work out this way. With Nikola Tesla? Come on. Come on. And, I mean, I guess it is a comedy. And maybe, maybe I'm being too hard on it for being... Uh, a mediocre comedy. I, I am watching this after White Chicks, which was certainly a fantastic no, comedy. No so. mediocre comedy. Right, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So it's tough to... It pales in comparison, I guess. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, I couldn't have said it, said it better. Have you seen the... Uh, have you seen the trailer for the new Marlon Wayans Netflix special? No. This might get you to buy... Netflix could be a reason to buy a TV for that. Yeah, no, I mean that that is absolutely your reason to buy a television. <laughs> totally worth uh, Oh my god, it just looks so good. It's it, it's meet the clumps, uh, meets I guess beat the fuckers meets. Uh, I don't know identity thief. I mean, just like everything. Martin, Laura- Martin Lawrence did a lot of great like, like big playing all the characters. Like on Martin. Like he yeah. he would play, um, guys. See, I never watched Martin. I wasn't in in Living Color guy. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but that but saying. that was another one where like all the guys played women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it, that that's certainly gonna be a lot of fun. But you know, nothing in the world will be better than white chicks, so it's okay. Including uh, you know. <laughs> the American side. So, you know, what are you what are you gonna do? Uh, it was a real adventure. To say I was thrown over the edge is a, is a good way to put it, or a terrible way to put it, depending oh. on your love of puns. God, I wish I had a soundboard now. See, you're, yeah. you're making me wish I could just hit applause buttons. But uh, the Bodega Boys, this isn't. So I can't uh, I I can't hit hit any buttons for you. And I can't applaud, but internally, know that it's happening. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, any uh, any parting thoughts? Uh, your wife likes Polish sausage. <laughs> oh, buddy, I'm still a cop, pal. You watch it. Oh boy. And on that ribald note, how do you pronounce that word? Is it ribald? Ribald. 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 All right, fine. And on that ribald note, have a good night. And uh, I guess research Nikola Tesla more.